0: Hello and welcome to the Food Manufacture Podcast. I'm and Grills, and as always I'm joined by my co-host Gwen Riddler.
1: Hello, great to be here.
0: <laughs> always good to have you Gwen. After a great first episode, Will has left to go on holiday. Maybe I shouldn't have paused there, right? Um, yes, whilst my Alexa informed me that today it will be 11 degrees with a strong chance of rain... Here in Crawley, Uh, Will is sunning himself on a beach in Malta. Lovely. Lucky sod. Yep. So, whether you're enjoying sunny skies, rain or snow, we're here to keep your ears company. And this episode is a gwen Try to um, embody the X-Factor band there. Uh, Gwen, what's coming up?
1: In this exciting, frill-packed, action-adventure-filled episode of the Food Manufactured Podcast... Uh, we are going to take a dive into the world of plant-based and uh, cell-cultured food um, with a couple of interviews with two great people uh, working in the industry. We've got Andy Shovel, the co-chief executive of uh, plant-based uh, meat firm This, as well as with Anastasia uh CEO at precision fermentation firm Milton Marble
0: wonderful and we're gonna hear from andy first but first let's turn our attention to good month bad month and as it's a gwenisode i'm delivering the news this time round because i want to and no one can stop me <laughs> is that right gwen
1: i mean you are the boss
0: yeah okay So um, let's look at the the bad news, okay? Um, So insolvencies in UK food and drink manufacturing companies are, are on the rise, increasing by 108%. So that's reaching around 287 per year in the year to end of June. 2023 so this research comes from inverto which is part of the boston consulting group um, they've highlighted rapid rising costs and weakened profits as as big drivers so war in europe's been a key reason for the dramatic surge in ingredient prices with grain cereals and products requiring significant fuel outlay to source like seafood particularly affected and as interest rates are rising many have found it hard to service debts Drink manufacturers saw a 123% rise and food manufacturers a 102% increase. So, drink manufacturers are being more heavily Um, affected Um, we are going into a period of deflation now and that's that is beginning so inverto is recommending that right now food and drink companies use this time to renegotiate prices with suppliers Um, and they've also said that understanding the structure of your suppliers costs can help procurement teams to negotiate fairer prices and accept pain sharing if necessary so the more positive news okay Now, this doesn't sound positive to start with, so bear with me. So the Royal Veterinary College has been awarded funding to continue their studies into enzoic um, pneumonia. Um, And I'm really sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, but my yop, um, which causes the respiratory disease, is present in 80% of swine herds. I said it doesn't sound very positive. Um, And that's causing a huge issue for, for pig farmers, obviously in terms of cost, in terms of animal welfare. So although the infection can be treated with antibiotics right now, it's recognised that that's not a long-term solution because, you know, antibiotic resistance and all that jazz. So RVC um, is looking to develop a commercial vaccine, I told you it gets more positive, to prevent initial infection and stop it from spreading between pigs.
1: Great to hear on the second part. Um, Obviously, there has been plenty going around uh, news-wise in regards to um, swine flu um, being a, a great you know, issue for farmers and whatnot. On the previous part, I mean, it's it's an unfa- unavoidable fact going across not just the food and drink industry, obviously. We've seen plenty of businesses struggling um, over this past couple of years. And for some people, in fact, the covid and the um, lockdowns that have ensued have been a boon for some of them they've seen you know certain uh, businesses that for example the frozen food industry have seen sales volumes increase thanks to um a combination of people um who are short on money choosing to switch to frozen food because it's better value for money for them um but also um um, being trapped indoors all day and um, not being able to get out and get fresh food as well has been helpful so once those sort of things do die down um, some of that um, pressure that has been pressure pressures as may then end up opening up their businesses to seeing well now we've got to refocus back on what we were doing before because that new business that has come from a temporary temporary situation which has negatively affected some but has positively affected some others uh, is going to go away so it's uh, it's just being a real big shake up across the board that even if it's good or bad for you at the moment
0: very nice assessment <laughs> thank you <laughs> and and that leads us into the conversation of the day so from traditional livestock to alternative proteins um Interesting, interesting to note here that independent think tank Green Alliance says the UK sustainable protein industry could be worth as much as six point eight billion pounds by 2035, creating 25,000 jobs. So it is a market to to really look at, but. Um, as we'll hear, you know, because going, I know that you spoke to um, Andy about this. You know, we've seen some consolidation in the market as well, um, and a lot of kind of um, plant-based brands being affected by this. So um, we're going to hear from Andy Shovel, um, the co-CEO of this, uh, discussing the journey behind um, his really rapidly growing business, um, and also the the future of plant protein.
1: So Andy, thank you very much for speaking with me today. It's a pleasure to speak to you. So no um so the first thing I'd like to ask really is how you've gone from obviously working directly within the sort of the meat industry and going a complete 180 and decided to chase plant-based.
2: Yeah, I've done a big U-turn. Um, so I think um we when we decided to exit that business way back in 2016 now we um we, we sort of felt like we wanted our next job to be sustainable and constructive that, that those were kind of uh firm criteria so we looked all around at what met those criteria and we thought about starting an electric car brand we thought about um, um waste management recycling all kinds of stuff and eventually one of us said have you seen impossible foods and beyond Meat and what they're doing and it was just not an area that we were uh, familiar with at all but we decided to um, look at what was available in the UK and back then corn had a massive market share and we felt like they and the other legacy brands who have been around for a while we felt like they didn't really have the most compelling products uh, back then and and also like from a brand perspective as well they were a little bit like you know, long in the tooth maybe and not that disruptive. So we felt like there might have been a real opportunity to dive in with something, you know, technologically a bit more advanced on the product side, but then on the brand side, something which perhaps was a bit more mainstream and fun and appealed to people who hadn't necessarily previously thought about plant-based foods. So that's the main reason why we decided to commit to the, to the business back then. But uh, it's funny because I've personally been on this really weird journey where I was just a business person to start with who wanted to generally be a bit constructive with their job. And now I'm this kind of extremely passionate uh, uh, person when it comes to animal rights and animal welfare. And I'm actually in the process of starting a charity on the side and I never would have seen it coming. It's so funny, but uh, I've, I've changed my views quite a lot over the years. Have you uh, altered your diet to um, suit as well? Yeah, yeah, I've been um, fully plant-based for some years now. Um, annoyingly, there's a, a video which will forever be on the internet of me doing a TEDx talk and eating a Big Mac at the beginning of it. <laughs> but, you know, we can't... Uh, none of us were vegan from birth, I guess. Well, very few of us.
1: So, sort of in the in your journey with this, what has been sort of the biggest challenges that you've faced bringing the product to market, getting the name out there?
2: Yeah, um, biggest challenges, I guess, well, making sure that we're on the road to profitability, that's really difficult. And we're now making great headway, but it's been a bit of a slog for the last year and a half, two years. Um, In terms of other challenges, um, I think product development Uh, Because we're so ambitious when it comes to the texture and taste and appearance of the food, that's been a really, really tough job um, to to meet the expectations and ambitions that we've had. So I think R&D has been difficult. And one of the hardest things I'm coming to terms with is sort of human cost of that because because we've been so ambitious and because the timeframes have been also ambitious, the team has, has has had a hard time and it's quite hard to come to terms with the fact that, you know, your am- ambitiousness or your ambition rather has has uh, been at the detriment of, of the team's, um, you know what I mean? Like they've, they've been under pressure. So that's quite hard. And then also, I don't know how many challenges you want. There's probably a thousand of them. <laughs> as many as you are happy to talk about. I think also we've grown very quickly we've gone from zero to 20 million revenue in basically three and a half years now four years and that is great but there are growing pains that come with that and on the people side you end up being a business that's bigger than how professional you are so you know you don't have the structures you've got to catch up with all the hr stuff and all the kind of like Ways of working and cadence of meetings, and it's funny, like stuff that bigger companies just do and take for granted. We didn't have any of that in place, and suddenly we were a slightly bigger SME rather than just a startup. So that's been quite painful, actually. And I think it's it's uh, um, from a personnel perspective, from a team perspective, it's been challenging.
1: So, if you do you think that, if you were to do it all again, do you think you would plan for that sort of thing, or you know? Is this sort of learning on the go almost um,
2: been mm. beneficial for you? Hmm. If I were to do it again on that side of things with the people, I as soon as as soon as we got a whiff of the sort of growth that was coming, I would have been more proactive on the on the sort of people side ways of working. Um, I would have taken advice and got consultants in, and, and you know. Gear the company up a little better for the growth, I think. I mean, nothing catastrophic, catastrophic. touch wood, nothing catastrophic's happened on that front, but it's just been growing pains.
1: Obviously, you've already spoken about the markets that um, obviously inspired you to go in this sort of direction, but a few of those businesses have obviously entered into administration, uh, those being... So, in your opinion, what kind of state is the plant-based and meat alternatives market in at the moment? Um, are you worried about the the direction of the market? And where do you see this inside of this market as it is now?
2: Yeah, so it's in a state of consolidation, I would say. We had way too many brands coming into the space in 2019, 2018, 2020 with, with products of a very broad spectrum of quality. So some of it was great and some of it was really not very good um and so the market is basically correcting and having um a consolidation phase that's definitely the phase we're in and we can be confident that that's the phase we're in because we can look at proxies from other markets like craft beer same thing really happened too many craft beers came onto the market too many brands and they consolidated and it left some winners and it left the market really in a better neater easier to shop condition i'd say um and the same happened with smoothies when when they went uh berserk and the same happened with um coconut waters you know there's hype and over proliferation which we have just had and then there's consolidation and we're in the consolidation phase and in terms of the second part of your question like where this fits in i would say fortunately we're one of it seems like we're one of the winners in the category so you know we're 58 percent up year on year to date um and that's big growth for a company of our size even though we're still a small business you know that is good growth i think um and we have taken a lot of space in retail from some of the ailing brands who have left the category or are leaving um and i think it's because our brand is 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 has become a bit of a signpost for quality um and you know we're we're definitely trying our best to push the boundaries in terms of uh, you know, the, the, the product quality, the taste, texture. Um, and I think it's probably showing in the fact that rather than declining, like some of the other players in the category, we're, we're actually mass- in massive growth. Um, so I'm grateful for that, obviously, because it's a tough trading environment.
1: So what's the next step uh, within plant-based? Obviously, we've heard a lot of developments uh, in recent months, Directly around uh, cell-based meats, obviously meats created from animal product, you know, ultimately, but without killing animals. What kind of developments? You know, we haven't heard a lot of uh, big hype coming from the plant-based side of things. So, you know, what can we expect? What you know, what what are you working on, or or what kind of things can we expect
2: from the sector in the future? Sure. So I think like. From a sector perspective, and also from our company's perspective, I think that the, the public can expect uh, more of an emphasis on health and nutrition, and more of an emphasis on clean label, um, lack of processing. There's definitely a place for the meat alternatives that we sell and that are on the market because, you know, our, on a Friday or a Sunday, you might want to have. And a really equivalent experience to a roast or um sausage and mash or whatever you miss as a meat uh, when you're a meat eater or if you are a meat eater and you're reducing and you can't achieve those currently without a degree of processing and, and a degree of ingredients beyond just vegetables so there is definitely a place for those but there's also going to be a place i think for more of a whole foods based alternative to meat mm-hmm. and i i I'm not placing my bets on tofu because tofu has been around a long time to woo us and it hasn't really taken off like crazy. Um, there are some really healthy brands out there who are doing well, but I don't think it's the silver bullet. I think there's room for other protein options in, in the near future, which are plant-based and do replace meat, but don't do so with, uh, um, you know more ingredients and more processing i think that's probably where the category is going to go in the in the near term in the midterm and then in the longer term as you have mentioned i think cell based is really interesting i really don't know if that's going to be you know uh, ubiquitous i don't know if it's going to be like the protein option because there are still a lot of unanswered questions in that space mm. you know they don't yet have the sort of architecture of meat as we know it they don't have the fibrousness it's sort of like meat sludge at the moment um mm-hmm. and so that's got limited appeal and then you've also got obviously the perception question marks and all the other things that you know that's yet to prove so tbc on that one fermentation it's really interesting obviously corn's been fermenting products for a long time but there's probably a bit more you can do with fermentation i think so that could be an interesting space as well the only problem with fermentation is that Products are technically synthetic. You know, mm. you can't really say you've got a plant-based fermented product because you've essentially not got one. You've got a you've got a, a synthetic product which has just been synthesized from from uh, uh, nothing essentially, um, or, or, or certainly nothing that is left in the food. So um, yeah, no no clear answer, but I do feel confident in saying that in the near and the midterm, Whole Foods. Shorter ingredient stacks and nutritional benefits are going to be the order of the day, I reckon.
1: And that's a good future to look forward to,
3: mm, I mean and
1: so. a future that hopefully this will be a part of. So, what plans do you have uh, in the you know, sort of immediate future um, and further along? What can we expect to see from you?
2: Well, I always get told off for vomiting out top secret plans, <laughs> <laughs> um so I'll do my best to uh, to be careful. But basically. We are looking into the area of protein delivery in 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 plant-based, but but without uh, um, substantial processing. Um, so it's definitely an area that we see a future in as a brand, and we're actively working to uh, to, to, to to get something to market in the future for sure. Um, and I think um you know what exactly what that is is still to a degree tbc but we're definitely putting energy towards it because we recognize that that's what consumers need i think if we can be a brand that has you know meat alternatives which are hyper realistic and offer the same experience at a barbecue or a dinner or whatever it is and then we also are a brand that can offer highly nutritious protein which can be the sort of workhorse of the week for you they can be your protein needs on a rainy wednesday night after work when you just want to be healthy and you just want to make something quick then then we can fulfill that need with something that would be awesome i think
1: you you've built the brand on being a replacement to meat do you see this or any other sort of plant-based brand really targeting those non-meat eaters um, yeah, you know, is there a space for you where you make a product that isn't specifically made to mimic consuming meat?
2: Yes, I think so, and and I think this, I think this overlaps quite nicely into what I was going on about earlier with with regards to um, clean label, lack of processing. I think whatever that product is, whether it's our brand or other brands in the space they're not going to mimic meat. And I can say that with confidence because I know what it takes to mimic meat accurately and its processing and its ingredients, which is fine because you can still have a product that's much healthier than meat if you do that. So if you take our bacon or our sausages or our burgers, they are demonstrably way healthier than the meat alternative that they're trying to replace. They just are. When it comes to salt, saturated fat, um, nitrates that cause cancer, which are in bacon, uh, you know, whichever measure you want, we're healthier when it comes to um, those products. But but having said that, the, um, the when, when it comes to delivering protein, which is super clean label uh, and, and, you know, unprocessed, um, there's definitely a need for that. So we're, we're going to try and look into that space. And in answer to your question, I don't think it's going to accurately mimic meat. And that's because it can't if you don't use those other things.
1: Now, before I just sign off, is there anything else that you wish to bring up? Any other topic, or any anything else that you feel that uh, we haven't talked about? You wanted to expand into further?
2: I guess, I guess that you know, all I would say is there's been some negative sentiment recently about plant-based, but it's worth us remembering, or worth us reflecting, I guess, on the question of will our children and grandchildren really be eating as much or even more meat than they do today than we do today the answer has to be no i mean it's so unlikely that there's going to be some renaissance for meat and everybody's going to forget the carbon footprint uh, and other environmental factors and everyone's going to forget the animal welfare and and you know this very progressive youth that is coming up to, to to having more disposable income in the future they're just going to abandon all of their principles so I think that it's worth us remembering the bigger picture and that this is probably just a blip whilst it consolidates. Um, and, and I I really have conviction that in the long term, our future is going to be more and more meatless. Um, and so it's just a question of how and not necessarily if. Brilliant. Well, Andy,
1: thank you very much for your brilliant insight into the industry and all the best and all um, future luck for this in the future.
2: Thank you. It's been really nice to talk to you. Thanks a lot.
1: So that was Andy Shovel, founder and co-CEO of this. So yes, as was already, um, what I find very fascinating with him personally is just this journey that he's gone through, um, just the sort of deciding that, you know, he just identifying that plant-based was a place to go to and really just jumping in on that and going for it as hard as possible. It's quite an inspiring story that, uh, that he's gone through. And yeah, that sort of, assessment of the industry as well um we're going to just have to see more players really knuckling down uh, on what they do and not really 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 focusing that they are wanting to develop a product that is new and different rather than just following the trends you're going to have to be a trailblazer in this uh, market to really stand out
0: yeah i thought it was really interesting uh, what andy was saying and it's something i have heard on the on the grapevine um at uh, the uh, plant Uh yeah Uh Um, about sort of uh, creating a new segment so the fact that it's not going to be replicating meat there always be that that area but the the fact that maybe in the future what's going to be the bigger market is something that isn't isn't kind of trying to be me it's it's being its own thing it's quite an interesting concept as i said it's something i've heard before and i really am very interested to know what that will be look like what that will look like and i can't Mm. really i can't really envision it at the moment
1: well because you kind of think at the end of the day um most people that are vegan are doing are vegan specifically because they do not want to eat meat so offering them something that is uh literally a replication of meat it's just not what that kind of person wants. So. Or you know, are we going to keep on serving them burgers for, of you know mimicking the very thing that they've turned away from? It doesn't make a lot of sense. So if you're going to capture that kind of market, I mean you know a lot of people can get turned away by your regular veggie burger because the conception, and that's a lot of things to do with this, is preconceptions of um, what plant-based products have to be or should be. So you know, as you say, it's it's hard to say what that's going to look like because if it's not going to look like meat, and it isn't just going to look like, um, you know, mushed up vegetables in a breaded uh, coating, what's the in between of those? Yeah, two things? exactly.
0: What what is it going to be? I'm really excited to, to to find that out. And I also got a I've got a shout out Andy here for his really just honest interview as well. The fact that you know he said he has learned a lot about running a business and just being really quite frank about having certain structures in place. And I just think that was just such a, an interesting insight um, into, you know, someone who's just run a very successful business and, Mm. and kind of what they would, what they would maybe do, do differently. Um, We've got another interview coming up as well. Um, so, you know, we we've had we've heard from Andy around plant based and now we're going on to precision fermentation, aren't we?
1: Yes, absolutely. So uh, next we have we've got Anastasia Kuriverochko, who is the CEO of Melton Marble. So we're going to hear a little bit about obviously her view on the industry, uh, but also um, outside of just uh, creating. Um, The meat itself but also the role that fats um, play within processed meats and the trying to create something that is closer at the end of the day to a real meat product really targeting those people that are wanting to replace the meat in their product uh, in their diets with something that isn't from obviously an animal
0: wonderful let's hear what she has to say
3: Melton Marble is a Swedish startup that is uh, using precision fermentation to produce animal-like fats for the alternative protein industry. So the idea is that basically we program microbes like yeast to take sugars and convert these sugars to very specific fats, like, for example, meat fats or or dairy fats. And the nice thing with our technology is that we can really engineer our microbes to produce uh, any kind of fat based on our specification. Um, so the reason that we are doing this is because we see that when it comes to alternative protein products like meat and dairy, there is a bit of a taste gap uh, uh, for in the products that are available right now between the plant-based products and the animal-based counterparts, and the fats are a big part of it. So uh, the plant-based fats that are being used right now, like fats uh, like coconut oil, for example they don't have the same sensory characteristics that you find in animal fats. So they don't give you the same mouthfeel, the same juiciness, the same flavor profile. Um, and this means that like these products just don't taste as good. And this is what we are trying to fix.
1: So on the topic of um, using fats and whatnot, I mean, what has been the biggest challenge in uh, creating a product that does have that mouthfeel that people expect from uh, a meat product?
3: So, I mean, in general, like when it comes to meat products, they are very complex products. Like if you think about like what is actually in there, like we're talking about like different kinds of cells, like we're talking about muscle cells, we're talking about adipose cells, we're talking about all kinds of different proteins and all kinds of different molecules that interact together in all kinds of unique ways uh to give a specific texture, um, a specific cooking behavior, a specific taste. And... When we're trying to replicate this with plant-based ingredients, this means that like we have to like really think about like okay like what what is it in like the animal-based products that contributes to these specific um, uh, sensory characteristics? And of course, uh, part of it is like things like the structure of the protein, like how the proteins are are, are assembled, uh, but then also like uh, the fats like. Uh, how are the fats melting, like to give you this kind of juiciness? Like how are the fats, uh, or like to give you a specific type of like feeling in your mouth when, uh, uh, when you're biting into a burger and get like this kind of like melting as, and a specific flavor release, like how, do, how are the different ingredients interacting? Uh, this is of course like a very sort of big science in, in itself. Uh, so to get something, um, that is really tasting like a real meat product uh, you really have to look at all of these ingredients and think about how to get them to work to give you a similar or even a better experience.
1: So what would you say is going to be the future in that area? Is it going to be full-on steaks and the like or uh, uh, would it be safe to say that we're going to be sticking to things like burgers and the like? What's your outlook for it at the moment?
3: Um, I would say like, I mean, I think we're going to be seeing all kinds of products. I mean, we're already seeing all kinds of products, right? So it's, um, I mean, what is right now in the market is sort of like the, the first, second generation of uh, of these products, uh, but the products themselves are getting better and better. So like there are, of course, like all the technologies around how to create um like, how to texturize the, the meat analogs, how to create, like, this kind of, like, whole cuts, right? Uh, but also how to um, create ingredients that give, like, this kind of additional additional uh, taste or flavor or, so, for example, like, fats, right? So, uh, and in the end, it's going to be this uh, sort of combination of 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 the different things. So the kind of like texturizing technologies, but then also like the ingredients that give give you like the specific taste, the specific mouthfeel. Um, Maybe also like something to add like specifically when it comes to fermentation is that so precision fermentation is a very versatile technology. Uh, So you can produce pretty much uh, any kind of protein, any kind of fat, any kind of flavor ingredients with precision fermentation. And, Right now, like most of the companies that are in this space are focusing on replicating, uh, let's say, for example, like milk proteins or let's say meat fats, like in our case. Um, and this is like, right now, like a lot of companies are focusing on replicating the existing proteins and fats and ingredients to kind of try to get something that really tastes like, you know, uh, an animal cheese or an animal uh, burger uh but because precision fermentation is so versatile, like um we're not necessarily confined to the exi- the commonly uh consumed proteins so in in the future, maybe we will also see like expression of like more exotic food proteins uh or fats or 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 flavors uh like for example, I don't know like maybe you want to have whale cheese. Uh, just as an example or, you know, like uh, all kinds of things. Um, So I think we will just see like a lot more versatility and probably like flavor and taste experiences that we can't even imagine right now. I suppose
1: the only limitation you really have is um, the source of the original protein, really, then, at the end of the day.
3: Yeah, but with precision fermentation, all you need is a DNA sequence. So, and that is very easy to do. So, in theory, like, if you have the DNA sequence, then you can express it in a microbe, and then you can eat whatever you want.
1: I mean, we've already seen uh, mammoth meatballs, uh, you know, being demonstrated. So, I guess, yeah, whale cheese isn't that too far off the market, really. (laughs) So, uh, going away slightly from the sort of uh, the technical aspect of of it, but looking at fermentation as a... A process obviously, some people would see that pers- fermentation, precision fermentation, can fall under ultra, ultra processed foods because at the end of day, it's obviously not an originally a, a fresh product that has just come straight from farm to fork. What would you say to those people that might see old, um, fermented, f- fermented foods as being ultra processed and therefore could be perceived as being unhealthy?
3: Yeah, so I would say, like, I mean, in general, like when it comes to precision fermentation, typically like uh, the products of precision fermentation are not really foods in themselves. They are more like ingredients that go into foods. So like, for example, uh, so our our fats would typically be ingredients that go into, let's say plant-based burgers. But yeah, like when it comes to ultra-processing, I think one also has to be a little bit careful because there is the sort of like general uh, notion that All processing or all the processing is is bad, but that is not necessarily true. So, like, you really have to, like, look into, like, what does it actually mean? Like, what kind of ingredients do you end up on the label? And are they bad for you or are they good for you? Um, Like, for example, like, there are plenty of, like, ultra-processed foods, like, let's say, energy energy bars that are actually, like, fortified with things that are good for you. So... I think we have to be a little bit careful with how we kind of use this term and uh, how we interpret it. Like, also when it comes to plant-based meats, uh, you know, people are concerned that they're ultra-processed, uh, but actually, if you compare them to like animal-based meats overall, like they are probably healthier. Like they have better fiber content, uh, they don't have cholesterol. So, I mean, of course, they are not meant to be health foods, so they might not be as healthy as you know, like having a kale salad but they are still healthier than the alternative and the main thing that we are trying to do is basically to offer something to consumers that is better for the environment and is as delicious and is not worse for your health maybe even a little bit better
1: so do you think that that plant based alternatives meat alternatives in general should be pursuing sort of clean label for and the products that they produce?
3: Yeah, I think in general, um, I would say one of the opportunities actually with um, with doing this processing or all the processing is that actually it might allow plant-based meat companies to actually incorporate ingredients that are healthier uh, to basically improve the overall health of the product. Um, even, for example, let's say like with our fats so we are producing um, animal fats which some like not always have the uh, health uh, healthiest reputation uh but we are of course also like looking into like when looking into our fats we are thinking about like okay like what are these things that are like healthy there and what are the things that are not healthy and could we actually potentially create something that is um you know similar enough for the properties to let's say like meet these fats. But also maybe has like some healthy fatty acids, like you know bioactive fatty acids that have like certain health benefits, uh, to create like a fat that is overall better than an animal fat. And you can do this like on the level of other ingredients as well.
1: Are you aware of Finnbro
3: No, I don't think so.
1: So recently they announced that they are going to doing a plant based uh, Wagyu burger. So. <laughs> Is that sort of the sort of area that you see yourself playing into, sort of recreating that sort of? Because obviously wagyu is well known for the fact that the fact that the marbling throughout the meat is the reason why it's wagyu. And so, is yeah, is that sort of an area that you're exploring as well? Yeah.
3: So of course, like for us, we're looking into all kinds of applications um, and like the main mission for us is to create ingredients that make all of these alternative products better uh, and then hopefully make people want to buy them. And in general, the kind of ingredients or or the kind of products that we are looking at is, yeah, we are looking at like the common kinds of burgers, but then also like the higher end ingredient uh, products as well. Um, We also have to think about like our cost of production and how long it will take for us to reach cost parity which also means that it could be nice to like start out with like more of this kind of like higher end applications. But of course, in the longer term, like to have like any kind of like significant shift from animal based to alternative foods, we need to sort of cover a broader range of, of applications.
1: Over the past couple of months, we've obviously had a couple of, in the UK at least, high profile uh, cases of plant based producers going into administration which has and, um, you know, started bringing bring some questions about the health of the sort of alternative proteins market. I mean, what's your take on the market right now? Are we going to see, do you think we will see more closures or do you think we're still in a period of growth? You know, what do you see, especially, and from your position, how are you playing to that market right now?
3: Yeah, so I think um, in general with this market, I think what we have been seeing earlier is that of course there has been like a lot of hype uh in the market and a lot of like really high expectations about all the different possibilities uh and and maybe like a bit too high expectations in terms of like the timeline like how fast can they create products that deliver on the taste and deliver on uh the price and deliver on the health and uh the health and basically everything um and then when uh a lot of products we're not able to deliver on uh on this key criteria then you know we kind of got like this slow down a little bit and um i mean i think in general there are a lot of products out there that are maybe just not very good and those will probably disappear but the good news is that there are also products that are good and also a lot of products that are now in the pipeline in different like for different companies that have not even been launched yet uh, that are really, really good. So the good products are coming. And then, of course, like also with companies like Northern Marble that aim to make these products even better, like when our facts are available commercially, then hopefully they will basically push these, all of these products to be even better. So I think what we're going to see is this kind of like that some products will disappear, but then better products will take their place and then the market will start really growing again. So
1: it's a little bit like survival of the fittest. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> well, in this uh, dog-eat-dog uh, market, um, I'm assuming okay. that Aussie not Marvels are going to be surviving. So, what can we expect to see from yourselves uh, in the near future? Maybe further along, you know, next year and whatnot.
3: Yeah, so like right now, we're in the process of developing our first product, which is uh, a meat like that, to be used in uh, meat alternatives. Uh, so we're in the process of scaling up uh, our, our production strain right now, and we are expecting to launch this product uh, B2B uh, next year. So hopefully next year, uh, at least in the United States, some consumers will be able to taste products containing our, fat, uh, our fats in them. Uh, And at the same time, we're also already developing the next pipeline of products as well.
1: Well, hopefully they'll make their way from Stakeside over to us over here, and we can try and plant (laughs) else. Well, Seija, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you very much for your time today.
3: Yes, thank you. It's been lovely as well.
0: So that was really interesting from Anastasia. Um, she spoke a lot around about perceptions and processed foods in that. And I thought that was that was really interesting. So Gwen, when I was listening to this interview, um, because obviously I wasn't there with you, hovering over your shoulder. Um, <laughs> but I was listening to it as I was preparing dinner, actually, um, which was traditional chicken, um, I have to say. And it was very tasty. Um, but I digress. And I... I got into this uh, uh, sort of process, um, ultra processed ultra-processed foods and processed foods has been a really interesting argument. We wrote, we wrote about it. We had someone write about it, a food engineer quite recently around what sort of counts as processed, what counts as, um, you know, minimally processed, what counts as ultra processed. And I went on a bit of a, a sort of uh, TikTok tock uh, sinkhole, as it were, over my dinner after listening to your interview, Gwen and um and i saw a clip um from um the kardashians um and it was very much like you're not meant to eat processed foods and i think that that is kind of the problem is that we have these these influencers within the sector that don't really they don't have any experience within nutrition or within um what you know what happens um to make food and you know people take what they say as kind of well as fact i mean there's a lot of things that on tiktok that you you can you know you can you you have to take with a pinch of salt so yeah i am i just think that i don't know what the what what the answer is but maybe we need to as an industry really shout out about this on platforms like tiktok to say you know what the definition is of a processed food versus an ultra-processed food, um, because it is, you know, as, as as Anastasia said, you have you have to be careful with those, and it is creating negative perceptions around certain things where it's not necessary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to use a Kardashian as an example of a bad role model in the, the media is is probably a bit on the nose, but um, I think one of the biggest problems and not necessarily for food in general, but specifically for um, the manufacturing side of things, is there isn't a big positive role model that's representing the industry. Um, You've got plenty of chefs, obviously, celebrity chefs who are constantly promoting healthy eating, uh, how to prepare foods, and the best cuts of foods and of meat and and where to get the best uh, meals across the country. But there isn't somebody that's sort of doing the same thing for processed food. Because, you know, if you go down to obviously this, the idea of ultra processed foods, the term um, ultra processed foods are actually what are termed as grade four foods on uh, the Nova scale. So it's, it's designed to help nutritionists and policymakers decide what level of food has been processed. So, you know, you've got one op- un- unprocessed. Two processed colouring ingredients, free processed foods for ultra-processed foods. Um, that, now the idea of an ultra that's a literally a term that does that that mean, that describes the production process of it. Uh, ultra processed It's not it doesn't mean that this food is unhealthy. It just means it's gone through a process, an industrial process to create it. So, you know, bread is an ultra-processed food. Um, It doesn't just, I mean, unless you are literally making it at home in small batches, even the healthiest loaf of bread has gone through a huge factory. So, and those can be, you know, fortified with with vitamins and iron and and all that sort of thing to keep make them healthier. The same with plant-based foods. Um, They can be the healthiest thing in the world. But because technically they have gone through a, have been ultra processed to create them because... Obviously, a, a, f- a strip of, of product-based steak isn't something you can grow off a tree at the end of the day or cut off something. You have to combine different elements together to create it.
0: I want to pick up on that point here as a nice segue because whilst on my TikTok excursion, I also came across a paid partnership post with a cultured meat brand. And um, this this influencer discussing you know, the future and they were saying that at some point we'll have hundreds of data files. And essentially you'll be able to, I mean, they described it as copy and paste. Um, maybe a little bit compli- complica- more complicated than that to do. But, you know, uh, essentially that, that notion that we'll have a data file for a particular cut of meat that you'll essentially be able to pop into a 3D printer and, you know, print out, print out your steak. Um, what I found really funny about the video, and I did notice quite a few people commenting on it, was the stake that they captured looked like something from Minecraft. <laughs> Throw back to our first episode of <laughs> Minecraft, by the way. Um, it did. It looked pixelated. It was really bizarre. Um, so maybe you won't get stakes growing on trees, but you might get stakes coming out of printers.
1: Very true. Um,
0: um, they, this is happening right now. Three D printing. Yeah, three D printed
1: stakes are already something that's being done because um, at the end of the day. Um, yeah, we've discussed this previously on other podcasts and, and on the website as well, is that when you, for example, specifically with cell-cultured meat, um, you can't grow a steak per se. You can create tissues and fibre in a Petri dish. Um, but that's not going to resemble a steak. So you need to have some way to make it into a steak. So 3D printing allows you to create the lattices that then become the, the sinews and whatnot that you would find in a steak. So um, it, you know the 3D printer is just the, um, the medium for which it's being created. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it's not out the of the realm of possibility.
0: Do you think people have 3D printers in their kitchens, like a microwave? it Was become an appliance.
1: Well, at the moment, even the cheapest 3D printer for you know plastic, obviously, what most people would think with a 3D printer is still you know at least 200 to 500 pounds for a cheap one. Mm. So, unless the price of those goes the same as free, um, just cultured meat in general, unless the price uh, comes down rapidly. It's only going to be something, you know, especially 3D printing, it's going to be a, a fancy thing you'll see in a, a very upmarket or tech sort of themed restaurant. Mm. Um, but until that day that it becomes cheap enough that you can just go down to the shops and, you know, grab a, a an air fryer and a 3D printer on the side, um, it's going to be a long way off until we see that, being commercial in the home kitchen
0: yeah but it's not it's not impossible that's the thing it's
1: that's the only thing it's just it's time and money and you know you add that in it'll eventually happen but um yeah right this very second as we're speaking right now um it's just a little too expensive to be in the home but it's not too expensive that it doesn't exist
0: wouldn't it be good if it came out cooked as well you've got to cook it still after that.
1: that's very true but then um if you think about it you know as is these things grown in lab conditions so what you are basically seeing is a a rare piece of meat so it shouldn't have any um germs or uh, or contaminants in it so theoretically you should be able to pick it up and eat it there and then
0: yeah well if you like your steak blue (laughs) uh, i also before we close i have to say my ultimate favorite Uh, comment on this TikTok uh, dig that I went on um, was, I'm 3D printing my next husband. Um, That was just fantastic. Um, Who knows? Maybe one day we'll be able to 3D print people.
1: They might be a little bit floppy. (laughs) Won't have a lot of bones in them, but otherwise, (laughs) possibilities are endless.
0: And it might be very clean as well, as you Uh, said. Well... (laughs) so well let's let's close there um but thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed this episode and if you're feeling extra generous why not give us a like and a rating uh we'll be back next month with more news updates expert interviews and more bad jokes uh until next time bye